0: You want to find the one you're
1: at. Otherwise, well, it's going to be a great one. Uh, I'm definitely glad I'm hosting it, so I'm going to be taking notes and listening because uh, I was told that the senior pastor just gets to do whatever they want to do. So, but uh, let me introduce our <laughs> let me
0: introduce, our... <laughs> let me introduce our, our guest and our host, uh, Pastor Carolyn Haas. She co-leads with her husband, Peter Substance Church
1: in Minnesota, in
0: in Minnesota. Twin Woo! Cities. Come on, wow. Minnesota. A phenomenal church we've actually sent a few people your way people yes left our church moved up there amen so that's awesome that's and awesome. she's got Nate Puccini that's their executive pastor
1: they're gonna be diving into this and telling us everything we need to know so uh, they're gonna uh-huh. talk and chat for a little bit and then turn it over to questions and I'm gonna turn it over to you guys. Perfect. Thank you so much Justin. Welcome, you guys. I'm so excited. It's been such a great morning already. Have you not? Has God not spoken to you already? I'm excited. Um, But we're going to talk about, like Justin mentioned, vision stewardship. And what does it look like with the relationship between your lead pastor or pastors and executive pastor or executive team? How do we navigate vision alignment, stewardship of that unity, roles, responsibilities, voices? That's what we're going to kind of get into today. And so we're going to share a bunch of our story. We're going to share a lot of the mistakes that we've made. And my prayer is that you're going to get some insights today for whatever season that you're in. Because each of us are in a different season and yeah. a different role in our organization. Yeah. And we're not here to be experts at all. We're not I'm not here to tell you, here's three easy things for you to do because that's just obnoxious. Our heart is just to share our story and just to share, hey, here's some mistakes and some lessons. And my prayer is that God's going to speak very, something very specific to you today. So, what I want to do is I actually want to open up in prayer because none of us have time to just sit through another app session and just get more information overload. I want the Holy Spirit to speak. Okay. So, would you just do that and just open up your hearts yes. and open up your hands and just your posture, God? Thank you. We don't want to just waste the next hour and 15 minutes. We want to learn, and we want you to speak to us. Yes, thank you, God. So we just welcome you into this place. Holy Spirit, you see each of us. You know our organizations. You know our skills. You know our responsibilities. You know the things we are confused about. And I just ask right now that your presence would be with us, that you would speak to us, that you would encourage us, that you would challenge us. It would be your voice. That's right. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so we're going to be tag teaming today, and I've given Nate Puccini permission to interrupt at any point, um, but I wanted to start by just sharing some of our story. So 14 years ago, my husband Peter and I, we planted Substance Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We were ARC church plant number 15, so super fun, um, and we are honored to serve on the ARC lead team, so that's been a really fun thing that that both Peter and I have been involved in. Um, But planting Substance was not our first senior pastorate, and how much of you know, context is everything. So we actually pastored in Wisconsin for nine years. We were youth pastors for three years. It was a very rural setting, so 19,000 people, and so we were the youth pastors for three years, and then at the age of 24, they asked us to be the senior pastors. It's a 900-member church. It was the craziest experience of our life, Um, but it was our hometown, and so we actually felt, I mean, it was just an awesome opportunity that God put before us, and we loved it. We actually thought we were there for life. I mean, we'd actually go visit the Twin Cities and be like, because that's where I went to college, and was like, love it. So glad I don't live there. Glad I'm raising my kids in rural Wisconsin, and then how many of you know God starts speaking to you, and God starts stirring change? And we started studying the demographics of the Twin Cities, and we realized, so the Twin Cities, it has over 3.5 million people. And of that you know, population, it's a really young city. 64% of the city is under the age of 34. And of those under the age of 34, less than 1% go to church. So the Twin Cities has a lot of great churches. But anyone that's older is going to church. And and even those who do go to church in the Twin Cities, it's still at five percent. So it's a pretty low average, you know, nationally, even in the United States. And so God started stirring in our heart change. So we resigned our congregation in Wisconsin, went through a nine-month process to find a senior pastor for that church, because we loved them so dearly. So we were part of that process. We resigned it and then moved to the Twin Cities, literally knew six people, and, and everyone we knew was like 1920 and 21. And so we were 29, we had two kids, we were the only ones that owned a home, and the only one that had full-time ministry experience. Everyone else just loved God and was excited about this idea of planting a new church. And so it was a crazy experience for us. We, um, you know, as as you hear in many stories, started, you know, we launched with 278 and then, you know, kept shrinking down. In the first two years of the church, we averaged about 103. And so it wasn't until we started really getting systematic with our growth track that we actually started seeing some growth. And so then we started getting some traction and started growing and growing. and, and And so ultimately we got to a place where we were literally, um, seven services in four locations all portable all multi-site which is crazy and it's chaotic i mean we were that church that when we reached 2,000 people we only had 80 people giving so it was like this large church but no money so we called it the starbucks tithe you know what I mean and and we had to learn how to teach about tithing just being honest and so but it was a crazy anyway I have so many stories about that but so as we're growing, so it's this chaotic, awesome thing because people are giving their lives to Christ. I'll never forget we're in four locations. One of the campuses had a fifteen percent LGBTQIA community attending. They on a survey literally said, "This is what I identify with." That was in our campuses, and so we're growing and, and we're expanding. But how? And then and like six hundred volunteers just to set up teardown. So pretty, pretty chaotic. And I know in that, I'll never forget the season of going from nine staff to twenty-four staff, nine interns to fifty interns. Chaos, And I remember for me, it really broke me as a, as a pastor. And I didn't know how to pastor everybody. And I had to wrestle with I couldn't know everybody's names. And, and in the Twin Cities, it's, it's very urban and it's very transient. And because we have a lot of great churches in the city, you also have a lot of church hopping as well. So we're seeing a lot of that. And so, but let me just say, so we're growing, we're growing. I think by year six or seven, we hit fast, one of the fastest growing churches in America. So, of course, you're all high-fiving, you're all excited. <laughs> And then if I can just be honest, the wheels of the bus just all fell off. <laughs> and so, you know, fast growth uh, doesn't and size does not mean it's well managed. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, and honestly, our leadership team, you know, we had great hearts, but we were a house of cards that just, you know, kind of collapsed. And, yeah. you know, we like to think and imagine that we were great managers. Uh, we like to imagine that we were ready for more campuses. And let's be honest, when people are giving their lives to Christ, it's really weird to say no to adding a new campus. And we were naive enough to know that we didn't have the infrastructure and the leadership and the maturity to actually pastor all these people. We like to imagine that our really gifted staff and the platform talent were going to be enough, but it didn't compensate for the pastoring that needed to happen in our church. And we like to imagine, let's just be honest, that we could hire people that will just magically know what they're supposed to do (laughs) rather than grow them. So to be honest, it was such management lessons for my husband and I, and we had to learn how to be better managers, how to be better leaders. We can't just hire great leaders You have to grow great leaders Mm -hmm. and that's such a painful like none of us want to hear that but to be honest substance grew and expanded beyond our ability to pastor people Mm -hmm. and so in that um so then we hit like year seven and so we're you know we all of a sudden hit this massive transition season so literally every two months for two years we transitioned out a staff member and we're talking awesome pastors that were amazing that everybody loved that we loved and it was one thing to have church people leave your church. It was a whole other thing to have your pastors and staff leave. And I just remember feeling so broken, and I didn't know how to process it all. And, and so we're, we're having our staff leave, and not even all of them were bad transitions. How do you know? It doesn't matter. It's change. Wow. And when a staff member leaves, we always say expect 50 to 100 people to go with them because you're paying your staff. To draw people and to pastor people and to care for them. And when that person's gone, there's transition. And so I'm telling you that that two year transition of staff member after staff member after staff member, it had such an impact on our congregation. We lost over a thousand people in our church. Now, we gained a thousand through salvation and growth and yay, but I'm telling you, it doesn't matter how many new people you get when you lose a best friend. Amen. Yeah. It's yeah. grieving. So our church is grieving, and, and then yet new people are coming, and they're excited about our church, and yet those of us who had been there for seven years are grieving, and so there was just all of this emotion that we're going through. And so to make matters worse, we're you know chaos, portable in all these locations, quality control was crazy. We just could not keep up with what was even quality and what should be, look like. And so we're having the hardest time buying property. So we're fundraising, we're fundraising, we're saving money, we can't get a property. Like, everything's saying no to us. And so that's when we actually hired Nate Pacini to come on, and he came on to our executive team and so at that point then we reconsolidated our four multi-sites that were portable into two large portable sites and we just said okay the wheels are falling off we've got to consolidate we've got to get strong we've got to get healthy we've got to figure out how to pastor people we've got to figure out what does our relationship look like as senior pastors to the executive team we had a team at that time and so we just kind of had to figure out what does that look like and really reinvent what does it mean to manage, what does it mean to measure, what are the metrics, what's the scorecard, all that kind of stuff. And so right now, Nate Pacini is our executive pastor, he manages all of our staff, our campus pastors, assistant campus pastors, and what's so fun is he's a third generation pastor's kid, which how many of you know, if you've been a pastor's kid and you still love Jesus and you love the local church and you're in ministry, that's a win, that's what we all want our kids to do. So he lives and breathes the church, but he actually started coming to substance as a business guy. So he came in his late 20s with his family, and super successful business guy, owned over over 17 stores, had over 200 employees, and so as we're getting to know him as he's a church member, we instantly brought him onto our board of trustees, and we're like, we need someone with your business acumen to come in and just help us, and help us think, because he had 17 locations and 200 employees, and all of his employees were under the age of 30, we're like, okay, we need what this guy has, he gets how to work with the next generation, and so we brought him in, um, he literally made his first million at the age of 26, and so how many of you know, like, that's a hard conversation to be able to say, hey, would you like to take a major, 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 major? Pay cut and lifestyle cut, uh, and come on staff at Substance. And so, him and his wife, it is so humbling that they, I mean, they sold their house, they sold their cars, they downsized everything to come on staff at Substance. So, he's been a member for eight and a half years, been on staff for five and a half, and then two years as the, as the main executive. And so, um, he's literally changed our lives and helped really change the culture of our church. And so, that's why we're going to be tag teaming is because I wanted you guys to hear kind of from even Peter and I's journey as lead pastors. We didn't know how to navigate the relationship with an exec team kind of like my first assistant I didn't know what it was like to have an assistant I didn't know how to navigate that so my first assistant it didn't work out well and so I you know you learn lessons and go okay I've got to figure out a better way to communicate I've got to are you hearing me there's this tug of war there or dance whatever analogy you want to use that it's awkward you're stepping on toes and you're trying to figure out your voice and where does it fit and so um that's what we're excited to take team is just kind of go Where does our voice fit? Um, As a lead pastor, when should I be micromanaging? Uh, When should I be delegating more? When am I saying enough? When am I not? Are my husband and I too involved? Are we too distant? Are we not involved enough? Um, What does this mean with a co-lead pastor? Can I just be honest? That's complicated. And there's a lot of different opinions about whether you should even have a co-lead or not. And I say it's not a matter of right or wrong, it's better figure it out. It is complicated, but you gotta figure it out. Because my husband and I are very different. I mean, we're opposites in our personality, in our communication, in how we think, in our passions, in, in our and so we we fight a lot. You know what I mean? In a fun way. Do you know what I mean? You know, like, like it's not, it's not, we're not mad at each other, but we're both feisty and we're both passionate, and so I love it because my husband allows me to be passionate and feisty. He's not offended. He's not insecure about my opinion and my voice. But he allows me, and he realizes we're a really good team. So instead of, you know, in our early years, we've, we've been pastoring together for 22 years. In our early years of marriage and ministry, we just fought like cats and dogs, and we were insecure, and we compared with each other, and we're trying to figure each other out. I'm trying to be more like him. And it wasn't until we just finally went, that's never going to be, you know. And so, like, finding my lane, my strengths, his strength, and together, we're a dynamic team, yeah. and I love the fact that I don't have all the gifts, and I just want to say, I would never want to lead the church by myself, personally. Like, mm-hmm. I, I love my strengths, I love my gifts, and I can tell you all my weaknesses, but I'm, I'm good at this, and I'm, wow, do I miss that. And I love looking at my husband's strengths and going, oh my gosh, thank God for him, he is strategic, he's got the big picture, he's the dreamer, and then I'm the detail girl. You know, so I, that's, that's kind of how we work it with for Peter and I, but... Again, the reason why this is important conversation is you've got to know the relationship. As a senior leader, if you're here today and you're a lead pastor, you've got to know yourself really well and what your strengths are. And if you're here and you're on an executive team or executive pastor, you've got to know yourself really well and you've got to do some homework together. And that's really what we want to talk about. And so um, before we dive into that, I just want to share a little bit more of our substance story because I just think it'll help to understand context. Because again, I don't want to just give you values and principles. I want you to hear our story and kind of the journey we've been on. And so... um, Peter and I, we've got three kids. So they are 17, 15, and 12, two girls and a boy. Our oldest daughter is a DJ, and so she's actually part of our band, Substance Variant. And so we just took her and our other daughter to England, and she was just DJing in front of 7,000 teenagers in England. And it was so amazing. It was such a powerful time. Our second daughter, True, is 15, and she is a chef and a baker, which can I just say is amazing because I, I like to cook, but I don't have time to cook. And so she just, like, watches Google's recipes and makes us the most amazing food. And, and she – I'm going to tell a bunch of stories about her today. God has used her to just shape our family and our church in a really prophetic way. And so I want to share some of those stories. And then our little guy, Eden, is 12 and sixth grade, middle school, first time in substance youth. You know, so that's a whole big deal. And um, he's the cutest thing, is obsessed with all things Fortnite, and wants to be a pastor when he grows up, which is so, it's just beautiful. So anyway, we love our kids. It's It's a fun season. But our second daughter, True, I want to tell you just some stories. So six years ago, we were selling our house. And at that time, the market in Minnesota, our house, the real. Said, hey, it's going to take 159 days to sell your house. Just be prepared. And so, what did we do? We gathered our family together just like you would, and we just said, God, would you help us sell our house? We just trust you. Simple prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. And our daughter was nine, True was nine at the time. And so, she goes off into her room, and little did I know, she just went, she's very black and white with her personality, and she just went into her bedroom and just said, God, when are you going to sell our house? And so, she comes back two minutes later and says, Mom, the Lord spoke to me about our house selling. And you're like, really? Like, what do you mean? She's like, well, I just asked God, like, God, when is our house going to sell? And she's like, and I saw this meter go back and forth. And this was on a Wednesday. And she's like, and it landed on Sunday. And so I just know that on Sunday, in five days, our house is going to sell. And she goes, and it's not going to happen on Saturday. You might be discouraged on Saturday, but it is going to sell. It'll happen by Sunday. And you're like, Okay. Like, that's really specific. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and when you're a nine-year-old, you're like, you kind of want to pet them. You know what I mean? It's just be like, oh, that's so cute. You know? And uh, and then, of course, I'm thinking, I've never seen a meter before. You know, like, I pray, and I've never yeah. seen something go back and forth. You know, but I just, I love that God's speaking to her. You know? So anyway, literally four days later, it's Saturday. We get negative feedback on the house. I was tempted to be discouraged, but I love that her word was, you're gonna, you could be discouraged on Saturday, but it's not gonna happen on Saturday. It's gonna happen on Sunday. And the house sold on Sunday for the asking price. And so that was our first experience with her and going, Whoa okay, she can hear from God. Like, this is amazing. You know, this is, this is awesome. And we have several examples of her of praying and asking God, God, when are you going to heal this person? And literally, oh, on Friday. Okay, they're going to get healed on Friday. And they were healed on Friday. You know, and so we've had a couple of those experiences. And so, you know, that's kind of our precedent with true. And, and so anyway, fast forward back to our church history. We're in a season where we're having a terrible time trying to find a building. Okay, so we literally, were portable, we're multi-site in several locations. And this is before we reconsolidated. And we tried to buy eight different buildings. Now, I don't know if you've ever, how many of you have ever tried to buy a building? Just a a couple of you. Okay. So, like, when you're vetting a facility, it's a long process. So, I mean, it's money for appraisals, inspections, you have the building commission, then you have the city council, I mean, and all of those processes, they can legally postpone your meetings for 120 days in Minnesota, you know what I mean? So, like, each of these processes takes such a long time. And as a pastor's family, I mean, you prayer walk, you prayer walk, you trust God, you get all your intercessors praying, and then it falls through and then it falls through. And so we did this with eight different buildings. And it got to that point where, you know, just being honest, we just felt like idiot leaders. (laughs) We're like, what is wrong with us? And we'd come to art conferences, and everybody's getting a building, and we're not only not getting a building, we're losing more staff members, you know, because this is that same season where we're losing staff members every two months. And it was just such a shaking for me. It was a shaking for my husband of just trying to process, you know, what are we doing here? And so, you know, again, all the staff transitions are happening. And again, remember, it doesn't even matter if the staff transition was a bad one or a good one. It's people are losing their friend. Yeah. When their favorite staff member leaves and relocate, even when it's a God thing, there's still a grieving process. And unfortunately, I think we live in a world that people don't know how to grieve well. And there's not enough teaching on how to grieve. And what what are the emotions and the stages of grieving? And so when people grieve, what do they do? They finger point, they blame, they accuse. You know, so we're getting all of these accusations of you guys are idiots, you don't know what you're doing. You know what I mean? So there's just all this kind of insecurity and and honestly the delays the building delays and the staff transitions literally caused our finances to start fluctuating and started going down. And that was, that's a pretty scary thing when all of a sudden your finances are going down, your church attendance is going down. And, and yes, people are getting saved and they're giving their lives to Christ and so you're rejoicing in that. But you're watching and you're going are we just literally going to fall apart? Are we going to even make it as a church? And so I remember we we're just so discouraged. And and then on top of this, my husband Peter is experiencing chronic pain to a degree that is insane. Like every part of his body. And so we literally spent years, I mean the medical file is this thick, going to every natural doctor, every medical doctor, and just finding out what the heck is wrong with him. Spending thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars, and no, And of course you're praying and fasting, and nothing. Like no answers, no no diagnosis. And just, so he's in so much pain, he, he's just throwing it is so swollen he can't even preach that often so when the church is shrinking the finances are shrinking people are leaving of all times for him to be that senior pastor that should be in the foyer that should be connecting with people he can't he literally physically couldn't he could preach one sermon it had to be videotaped the rest out because of his health and so you know i mean again just dark season for us the morale in our church was at an all-time low and i remember there was a point where we couldn't even like hide it from our kids where you're just so discouraged and um and I love that here at the ARC, you know, we're talking about every, every session you're going to hear is don't do life alone. Don't yeah. do life alone. Sure. Because I can't tell you, we still went to every ARC conference through all of these dark, embarrassing moments when all we had was sad stories rather than happy stories. I mean, there was obviously happy stories too, but... but it was our friends. It was our pastor friends yeah. that kept encouraging us. Pastor Greg Surratt, I will never forget. He just kept saying, no, 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 you guys are okay. You're good. You're good. No church just grows, grows, grows. It grows, then it plateaus, then it grows. He's like, you're good. We're in our third plateau right now. This is a couple years ago. He's like, you're good. Stop freaking out. You know? But we needed to be real with people, and we needed to have this tribe around us to res- resuscitate our soul because yeah, we just right. felt so like losers. Do you know what I mean? And so anyway, have you ever been through a season where it's just not going the way you want it to go? Yeah. <laughs> Seasons of waiting can be so hard. Insecurities flare. Blaming accusations. Everyone's playing the blame game. So in the middle of the season, True comes up to us, and this is so crazy because she was 10 years old at the time. And she's in the car with her Grandma Betty, and she was driving by, get this, she's driving by one of the buildings that we prayer walked over and over again and really believed it was supposed to be for substance, only to find out a year and a half later it had toxic soil. So you're kind of like glad God doesn't answer your prayers, but in the moment when you don't know it has toxic soil, you're kind of frustrated that God hasn't answered, you know, and because this building would have been perfect. and So anyway, but she remembers prayer walking that building. So she's in the car with her grandma. Nobody's talking about substance or the church or buildings. She sees where we had prayer walked and went, that building fell through. I wonder what happened. I should pray about our buildings. So this, and this is all in her head. She's looking out the window, has her little hood up. She's 10 years old. And she says, God, would you reveal yourself to me? And would you speak to me about substances, buildings? And what happens God gives her this detailed vision, like detailed, detailed vision, descriptions of exactly what it's going to look like. And, and what's so crazy, she's this little introvert. So she doesn't even tell me until 9 o'clock at night as we're putting her to bed. And she's like, oh, Mom, by the way, this happened today. And I prayed. And, and of course, I'm, like, freaking out and taking notes. And I even, like, recorded her voice in a memo thing. And, and, and so I'm, like, all excited. And I'm telling, you know, super detailed. But she said, this is what she literally said. She saw the same meter. So she's like, I was praying, and I saw this meter go back and forth. And this is on a Tuesday. And she said, by next Thursday or Friday, you're going to find a building for substance. You're not going to get it right away, but you're going to decide in your heart to go for it. Mm -hmm. And then when you do get it, God's going to help you and you're going to be able to afford it. And then she said, and it's beautiful. She goes, I even saw what it looked like. She goes, it had this double, this double layer to it. And I was like. mean like a balcony like she didn't even know the word for balcony she's like yeah people sit on the top and they sit on the bottom you know and and she even all she knew was a high school at that time for church and so she knew how high the ceilings were in the high school she's like the ceilings were way higher than what we have at this particular high school you know so I mean she just all these details that she saw she goes it's so beautiful and so you know I'm I'm all excited about it and, and of course share it with Peter and At this point, you know, Peter would would say this. He's like, Peter the skeptic jumped in. You know what I mean? Like, there is no way. And to be honest, he knows every facility in the Twin Cities. He's studied over 150 buildings in our metro. He knows what buildings have a balcony, which buildings do not. And so instantly, he's like, there is no way. By next Thursday, I'm going to find a building (laughs) with a balcony. Like, we don't have any real estate meetings, plans. Like, this is not, you know, going to happen. Well, four days later, nothing's happened. And, and, uh, oh, actually, let me just, as he's about to be cynical and almost laugh at, at his daughter's word at true's word instantly genesis 18 14 jumped in his heart and it's the story where god tells abraham and sarah that they're going to have a baby and they're way past childbearing ears and the scripture genesis four eighteen fourteen 18 14 is anything too difficult for the lord yeah. and literally when peter was about to get skeptical cynical that scripture just jumped right there and he was like okay god Okay, nothing's too difficult for you. Like, I trust you. Okay. So, you know, kind of leaned in, had that moment with the Lord. So four days passed, nothing happens. And at this point, you're kind of like nervous as a parent because you're like, is this when I'm going to have to pet my daughter and kind of go, um, we don't always hear from the Lord. <laughs> you know? Like maybe you didn't hear right. You know, and so you just don't know. So all of a sudden it's, it's the following Tuesday. We're two days away from this Thursday that she felt like it was going to happen. And we get a phone call from our administrator and he's like, I'm so sorry. I forgot to tell you. We have this opportunity to see a building in downtown Minneapolis. Um, I know you've, it's, you've got meetings planned today. Can you rearrange your schedule? Can you come? Can, can you go see the building? And so as my husband is talking about it, my daughter, True, she's getting ready for school. And she's like, Dad, are you going to go see a building? You know, And he's like, yeah. And she's like, remember. She's like, it's beautiful. And she's like, you're going to know it's the one when you look up and say, wow. And so all of a sudden, a couple hours later, Peter's in in downtown Minneapolis looking at Historic Wesley. It's the most beautiful church. It's 125 years old. And we'll show you a picture of it. You can kind of see what it looks like. Uh, It's just amazing. And so he goes into this building. And as he walked in, he looks up at this glass dome. And he looks at, because, I mean, let's be honest. You look up now, and, I I mean, it's kind of cool, but you don't really say wow when you look up at most (laughs) ceilings. So he looks up, he sees this glass dome. And the words came flying out of his mouth, wow. And the minute he did that, he kind of, like, jumped and freaked. Like, I just said, wow. I just said, wow. Oh, my gosh. So he started taking, like, a bazillion pictures, you know. And and so as he's doing that, I'm picking up the kids from school. And so I said, true. You know, Dad's looking at that building right now. And I said, why don't you draw out everything that you saw so that when Dad comes home today, you can show him the pictures that you saw, and let's just see if there's a match. And so... So anyway, so she came running home. He got home. She came running. Hey, Dad, Dad, here's the building that I saw. Is this the one that you saw? Like, this is what God showed me. This is the building that he's going to help us with. And so here, we have a drawing. You can see it uh, side-by-side comparison. So hers is the top, and then this is the picture. One of the descriptions in the word that she got was it's covered in red. And so the whole building is red. And so this is actually crazy. We've shown this to a Disney architect, and he said it's not possible for a 10-year-old to be able to have this kind of arc, you know curvature and to show that kind of drawing. And so... We're kind of freaking out at this point. Like, what do you do when God gives you a vision like that, when he gives you a picture? I mean, it's just, it's crazy. And so, um, it's the coolest location in our city. It's literally right next to our convention center. It's by all the restaurant districts. It would literally cost $40 million to build. It was a legacy church, a church-planting church back in the early 1900s. They literally were all, I mean, it's just crazy. And so... Anyway, two years ago, we moved into it in a lease situation where we actually started leasing it to own it. And so um, we'll show you a picture of our first service there. Um, and so that was super crazy. And if, and if that wasn't crazy enough, God allowed us to move into another building the same year on the north side of our city. So we're showing you a picture. This is our Northtown campus. Mm-hmm. And so literally two, so then the next picture is both of our, our auditoriums. So here we are in one year, two buildings for a price that only, you know, like, is ridiculous, paid for, you know, and, and all miracles. Both of them were crazy, cra- that we could write books and videos and documentaries for years. And so, for, for two years, we've been fundraising for Historic Wesley, and I'm crazy excited to say, like, literally one week ago, September 17th, 2018, the day before our 14th birthday as a church, we purchased Historic Wesley in yeah. cash. Yeah. I'm just so crazy. years after the prophetic word. Five and a half years. And what's crazy is my daughter didn't even see the building until three years after. So she did not look at the building until we moved and to lease it. So it was super. That was a fun. That's a whole separate story of her seeing it for the first time. But it's super fun to share the story now. But the obstacles were crazy we had to walk away from that building seven different times. There was real estate people lying about us. I mean, there was so many obstacles, and and then we had to be wise with our finances and the timing, and so, so many detours, so many delays. Now, we're walking in a miracle. Now, it's awesome. It's just like the Bible stories we read. You know, you read the struggle, you see a little bit of the delay, and then you get to read the happy ending, but it's that delay in the middle, you know, that, that we're kind of talking about, and so... The last two years, our church has experienced a momentum that is just so fun. Peter and I are having more fun than we've ever had in our life. In 22 years of ministry, I didn't know it could be this fun. But it's also like we also had five years of shaking and crying and seeing counselors and you know brokenness and and so you know our finances are stronger than they've ever been our staff culture is the healthiest it's ever been and it's very humbling if I can just be honest it's humbling that it's taken us this long to get a culture because and I know Brian Houston would say that it takes way longer than you want it to take to build life giving healthy leaders um, but the reason why I'm sharing all of this is as we talk about as we go into this next portion of just how do we navigate the relationship I needed you to hear some of our story some of our Highs, our lows, some of our context. It will help with Q and A later. Um, but again, I wanted to to take the rest of the time and just kind of share what it's been like from his perspective, because he was not only a member of our church for eight and a half years, he's been on staff and the executive team for five and a half, and then he's been our lead, you know, executive pastor for two years. And so, I'm telling you, him and his wife. Have changed our lives. I, again, I didn't know anything. His wife's an interior decorator, so she's decorated my home because I don't have that gift. She's decorated our offices, and I mean, it's just the sacrifice that they have given, the ownership they have in our church. I didn't. It's it's unbelievable. And so he's got this balance of care and candor that's just been such a gift for our church. So Nate, would you share what it's been like from your perspective? Give it up for Nate. Before. I
0: don't know how you listen to that story and not just be moved, that God is faithful. Um, There's something about seeing and hearing a story, and there's something about being in the story. And being a part of the story uh, was actually very painful. I remember very painful executive conversations, very painful decisions that we had to make. I remember having to come to my lead pastors and say, Hey, we, we get to cut the budget, and that means we get to cut staff members, and that means we get to cut uh, vision pieces out. We can't do it. Uh, that's not a fun conversation, but thank you for being faithful. I think Pastor Greg said it today, for not giving up. You guys are faithful. Um, I can look in this room. I see some of my staff members in here. I see some former staff members here. And God has been so faithful uh, to not just... Substance Church, but to my family. And I don't really have much to say after what you said, actually, because uh, that was really good, right? (laughs) That was really good. We can just do Q&A now. What do you want to (laughs) know? But it's just been so fun to watch God provide. I don't know how we as pastors and leaders fall back into this trap. Of not trusting God when we see his provision. Yeah. We see it constantly all throughout scripture. Where the Israelites would continue to fall out of the discipline of trusting God. And fall back into their own behaviors. Yet God would provide again. And he would do a miracle. And he would show himself faithful. And then they would recommit. Um, it's just been fun to watch you and Pastor Peter's faithfulness. And I want to honor you because. Um, well I've actually had someone recently say to me that. That. Uh, They're sick of the false honor that they see in churches. And I think that's the saddest thing ever. Uh, I think the church should lead in honor. I think the church should lead in humility. I think the church should lead in teachability. I think we should all lead in our posture of surrender and sacrifice. And I believe that's to the lead pastors um, specifically. And I, I think there's something in Western culture that is so messed up about our behaviors of becoming professional Pastors, um, And in fact, I don't know how you can prove that in scripture. And if you can talk to me later, I really want to see it. But when I look at the life of Jesus and I see what he did with the disciples, I don't see where Jesus said, hey, I want to know what you're best at. What are you most passionate about? What makes you come alive and how I can create a platform for you? Yeah. I saw Jesus say, give up what you're doing and go and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Yeah. Yeah. I-, I feel like that's okay. the only real example of true vocational Christian pastoring. Um, But many times we get it wrong, and I'm personally, I have some notes to read here, but I'm kind of sick of it. I'm sick of meeting with church planters and pastors who want to talk about themselves. I'm sick of meeting with church planters and pastors who want to talk about the vision that they have for something when they didn't officially submit to the vision they were already under. I want to talk about the the idealism that exists in our hearts, and I want to talk about This discontentment that exists in each of us when we're serving staffs and we're serving pastors and we're serving congregations. Mm -hmm. Um, I think one of the saddest and most disappointing things that I can see when I come to any conference is I'm actually offered a job every time I come to a conference. I've been offered seven jobs in the last year. I I think it's the saddest thing ever because I think pastors are trying to take shortcuts to people who get it. (laughs) And they're not committing to the process of growing leaders. And, and we have to change this. And I think if anything, today, we don't want to stand up here. Pastor Carolyn said that and, and tell you what we do well. I think we've done a good job sharing what we don't do well. <laughs> in a way, we're still fumbling forward and discovering ourselves. We, John Maxwell would say, you rise to the level of your own incompetence, and we've done that many, many times. Yeah. Um, but we also ri- rise to the level of our own insecurity. <laughs> and uh, our leadership abilities can be held captive and be in arrested development In relationship to how insecure we are in ourselves. And I I want to identify this. I believe that many pastors specifically are are, are pursuing a, 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 they call it calling, okay? They call it their purpose. They're pursuing it out of an insecurity. And I think we have to correct that. I meet with way too many church planters who are discontent youth pastors in their churches and they think that planting means they can go do it better than the pastor they're serving. We have to correct this. I mean, you can correct it. I, I mean, I want to teach you something. I want to teach you a couple, couple principles, but I actually would wish we could actually have a revival take place in the American church that we become sons and daughters of the houses that we're in. So could you help me here? Who in this room is a lead pastor? Raise your hand. I want to see it. Wow. I got all the lead pastors here. Those executives are all taking naps or something. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, we got to go to the beach or something. Anyway. Thank you for what you do. Yeah. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for serving. Thank you for not giving up. Thank you for showing up. Thank you for pressing into relationships. Thank you for trying to get better and grow. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having a vision for your church. Thank you for being on mission for your church. Thank you for taking a risk. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know what? You need to be honored more. There's not enough honor in the church. Mm -hmm. And I'm sick of it. I'm sick of it. You guys get that? I'm sick of it. Okay, raise your hand if you're not a lead pastor. I want to see it. Raise all your hands. I'm with my staff over here, raise your hand. You guys are amazing. Mm -hmm. Serve the vision of your leader. Yeah. know their vision, become students of your leader, understand what they're called to do, what they're most passionate about. Honestly, I'm a student of Pastor Peter and Carolyn, I, almost to a weird degree. I know that usually on Fridays, they love going out to breakfast every Friday, and they both love the American breakfast, and they get eggs over medium and hash browns, and they get eggs, and they like, to- not right now, but usually, um, and that, that's just, I know their kids. I know, I, I know their work-life pattern. I know the noise that they have. I know what that worship song is going to be really frustrating if you do it like that. Like you just need to know that. And, and I think way too many times we want our leaders to be students of us and we need to be students of our leaders. And I I think there's, uh, everything in the kingdom is inverted, right? It's, it's, uh, it's sacrifice. It's sacrificial living. In fact, agape is sacrificial love, doing unto others, expecting nothing in return. Yet, We as pastors and we as uh, church planters and staff pastors... We want our leaders to lead down into us. And I want to challenge you. I believe the right model is leading up into your leaders. Because I believe if you're in this room and you serve a pastor right now, you can actually unlock that person. You can unlock their passions. You can unlock uh, portions of the vision to come true. And I believe when you unlock their vision, their heart, and, and you see them come alive and they're just happier than they've ever been, even though you're going through those hard things, then. The, the the passions that you have and the dreams that you have can all be fulfilled. Uh, what I believe at Substance today is that every dream that our staff has can completely be fulfilled in the house of Substance. I believe that we can grow that house to such a place that those people who are passionate about being producers of producers and being international church planters and starting record studios and we could do that. Why not? Because our our, our leaders have vision for that, okay. and, uh, and and so. I better get to this. I have a couple things I want you to know. Today we want to talk about a, a couple diseases that, that I think exist uh, in the church, and it, it totally impacts the unity and the anointing of senior leadership. And I, I think we have to identify this. Yeah. Uh, so I'm going to start with just a story to kind of help you understand that. Per, who's ever done premarital counseling in the room? <laughs> all of us, right? It's the a substance. It's like we have a million people getting married every single year. I, it's, it's insane. All these people getting married. We're always talking to these idealistic millennials that think they have it all figured out. And they want to tell. It's like they start doing premarital counseling to me. I'm like, I'm married, man. I'm good. <laughs> I got, I know I need to listen to my wife. You need to listen to me. So, but you, let's just pretend for a minute we have this couple and they're sitting in your office. And, and this, this guy, he's sitting there and he's, he's just ugly, okay? Just an <laughs> ugly guy. He's missing teeth. He has a horrible attitude. He's just, he's just annoying. He's sitting there. He's annoying you because all he wants to do is talk about himself. Um, Probably a millennial, so he's <laughs> talking about himself. And and then imagine you have the bride to be, and she's beautiful, and she's polite, and she's patient, and you just believe these this couple's not compatible. And you're looking at them, and and so just out of curiosity, you pull her aside and you say, "Hey, I just have some questions for you. I I know it just seems like you guys maybe aren't that compatible." And and she says, "Well, that's funny because uh, I, I actually don't even like him, and I'm <laughs> not even sure if I trust him." However. He has this gorgeous gray house. And, and in fact, God actually gave me a vision that someday I would have a gorgeous gray house. And, and I, I love his aunt Susie and his second son John. And it's, just, it's just the perfect family I always dreamed of having. Uh, what would you do to that couple? What would you say to them? I, I believe that most people in this room would probably recommend they don't get married. Yes. Right? right. Uh, Anybody ever recommend people not to get married? We do it all the time. They still they still do, by the way. <laughs> they go to the church down the street and they marry them. <laughs> but I, I want to identify something. We do not call that chemistry. We call that codependency. Yeah. And that's what's unhealthy in that relationship. And, and not surprisingly, that family dynamic... Is yep. not going to produce a lot of kids, and even if it does, they're not going to be healthy kids, yeah. and that family's not going to grow healthy. Right. And, and I want to identify that because I believe that this exists in the church, mm-hmm. and I believe that a lot of people are called to platforms and paychecks instead of called to their leader. Oh. And I think it's—I I think we have to identify that. And if we don't identify that, churches can have great facilities; they can have professional staff members, in fact it's substance, we've had some of the most talented staff members that aren't with us anymore because they weren't called to the vision and the mission of our leaders. And and here's the thing, those type of staff members, they're not gonna visit each other in the hospital, they're not going to be looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important that we identify this disease that we call mercenary staff syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think it's an important disease to identify in your staff. If you're a lead pastor, you're going to want to focus in on this, on why you hire people and who you hire. Yeah, so okay. Funny. My point here is platforms and paychecks, instead of calling a calling to the lead pastor, it's going to create tension. There's going to be power struggles. There's going to be vision debates. You name it, you're going to have tension. You see, we want our people to be on the bus and love being on the bus, not because of where the bus is going, but they love the people on the bus. And listen, if you're a pastor and you're the lot of lead pastors in this room, you know that the vision is not just A to B. There's gonna be a lot of detours. There's gonna be sometimes that things break down. Pastor Carolyn shared that. Yeah. We literally rebuilt in the last five years the whole entire church. Yeah. I would say our culture today, it's so innocent, it's so beautiful. I can look over here at the staff members. I know that they're submitted. There's not even a question in their hearts. There's an innocence. There's a spirit of innocence versus a spirit of cynicism. There's a spirit of how can I help versus a spirit of what do you owe me and how can I cash that in? And and I think mercenary culture is the right language because if you think about what a mercenary actually is – It's a soldier who will fight for the highest builder. builder. They were going to fight for, they're not going to die for the general if the pressure's on, especially if they're not being successful. Mm -hmm. They're going to look for the next best paycheck. And in fact, if you you read any uh, stories on war strategy, you see that mercenary armies are typically extremely weak. And say, but hey man, if you need soldiers and you have money, I guess hire away. But just remember, that's codependency, not mm-hmm. chemistry. Yeah. I want to paint for you a picture what chemistry in your culture could look like. Because I would say this. The attitudes and behaviors you allow will be the culture you manage. Yeah. 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 Say that one more time. The yeah. attitudes and behaviors you allow will be the culture that you have to manage. Yeah. And I would say culture is not the idealism you have in your vision. <laughs> I could come in and identify your culture in 10 minutes. And most of you dynamically pastors could do it in another church, just not your own. Because we have this inability to identify the insecurities of our own culture. And we protect and defend it and we turn a blind eye to it. It's easy to go into another place and see all their, fa- their faults. But it's, it's really hard to see it in our own Dynamics, And so I want to challenge you in that way because, you know what, we're constantly having to vet out, is that our culture? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is that our culture? And, uh, and also, we do want to hire people that just get it. But no one just gets it. No one just automatically gets it. One thing that I'm really proud of at Substance uh, Church, is such a fun place to be. It's been 20 months since we've had a single staff turnover. Mm-hmm. And and I humbly submit to you that I'm very proud of that. Mm-hmm. And I I vividly remember the last turnover. Mm-hmm. It was painful. Mm-hmm. And no matter how right I was, we lost a lot of people over it. Yeah. And I was really right about that person.
1: It was our best firing we'd ever done. We did it so well. We
0: it was documented. We did action plans. We did performance plans. We talked to the wife. We're like, come on, dude. We're giving you every chance in the world. And still, 100 people left the church over it. 100 people confronted me. They came to my office and told me how bad of a leader I was and what I didn't know and what I didn't understand. And I'm like, I'm committed to defending the vision and mission of this church. Right? But many times we actually want to hold on to those people on staff because of their influence. This person could easily text 200 people having an event the next day, and we never had Mm -hmm. volunteer problems. Mm -hmm. They had influence, but they didn't understand culture. They didn't understand the value. And it was my mistake. Mm -hmm. They only were on staff nine months, which I was very proud of. We didn't keep them on staff because historically we tend to keep people longer than we should um, for the wrong motives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because we're afraid to ask these questions, because we're afraid of the consequences. We're, we're afraid to ask commitment questions. Mm-hmm. Are you fully committed to behave yeah. this way? Yeah. In fact, now when we're vetting staff members to come on staff, I love what people are passionate about. I love to know what, people, uh, what makes a person come alive. It's actually my heart to understand and, and, and identify that with people and go on journeys with them. But I ask every single one of them to submit that at the door when they come on our staff to serve a greater vision. Yeah. And that's trust. It's trust for them. And it's a commitment for me. The commitment is I care about your dreams. I care that you. I want to see those dreams fulfilled in your life. Yeah. But I need you to trust me that we're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. But there's first things first. And there's prioritization. And the prioritization is the vision and mission that God's given Pastor Peter and Pastor Carolyn for Substance Church. And so, unfortunately... A lot of times, that means delay, and that means some tensions, and that means tough conversations, but I just wanted to give you an example of an experience that we've had in our church that I think really does a good job identifying this. just a couple years ago, we were moving into our uh, our first permanent facility. A substance, and you know how many weeks it was five hundred. It was
1: eleven and a half years of 11 being portable.
0: Eleven and a half years portable. Many times, and for many years, in four locations, it was awesome. Uh, it was great not to be portable anymore. And we were opening our first facility. It's a beautiful facility. God provided that, as Pastor Carolyn mentioned. We bought a, a, an eighteen million dollar facility for $2 million in the metro. Just a crazy miracle story. I got to be a part of that um, and experience what God did with that. And um, But we're getting ready to move in. It's exciting. Anticipation's building. We're not soft launching. We're going full in. We're doing this thing big. And, uh, and we had a tragedy on staff. We had uh, one of our uh, high-level staff members who oversaw all of our kids' ministries Uh, have a tragedy in his life and at this time our kids ministry is literally exploding because we have a lot of young people and they have a lot of babies (laughs) and literally within uh, uh, 12 months our kids ministry had doubled and that meant the demand doubled and that that kids pastor was so critical to our central ministries for kids Um, but unfortunately two weeks before we moved in his wife was tragically killed uh, in in a foreign country with and her daughter was with her in a bus accident and this literally turned our kids it it was very as a grieving process for our staff everything froze um, for the church in that season and and we felt like we were in this death spiral in our not just from grieving but in our kids ministry our leadership's displaced Uh, he was out for a minimum of six months walking out that transition and, uh, and we, we really didn't know what to do. And at the same time, we're having record numbers of people checking to our kids' ministry. In fact, I believe during that time, a person who's now my assistant was holding down the whole entire mm-hmm. ministry of kids. And we're talking hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of little ones coming in and checking into a large multi-site church kids' ministry. We don't even know how it got done. But...
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: But we didn't know what to do, and we spent six months vetting who could take this, who could handle this, who can handle the the pressure and the pain of a kid's ministry, not only just to maintain it, but to grow it. Uh, We need to grow the ministry, and so uh, we actually didn't know what to do, Uh, and we were vetting the process, but I think we had learned enough. In the process of pain to know that we needed someone internal who had the DNA in the culture, who is not just a kids pastor, but and we didn't want just a kids pastor. We wanted a high level leader who could lead kids pastors to take over this ministry. And so we went to our main campus campus pastor, uh, who's an amazing person who's overseeing all of our subgroups, all our small groups, overseeing all of those overseeing the main campus. And, And we said, hey, we we want you to be the kids pastor like tomorrow um, and uh, you're going to do that tomorrow and and uh, you can think about it but you're still doing it um, and that was a fun conversation and uh, I think he kept putting timelines in place for it, and we kept taking those timelines away. And said, no, there's no timeline. We just need you to do that um, because you're a gifted leader. You're a gifted multiplier. This person can recruit like crazy. And, and, and within just that next year, he recruited over 150 uh, new volunteers to come serve into that ministry, which, I mean, who wants 150 more volunteers, Amen. Yes. And uh, our kids' ministry, from when he took over on, grew by 400 uh, students. We, we just had 1,290 individual kids check into kids' ministry. Um, and so just a, amazing growth in that area. Um, but it wasn't simple. Those weren't, they were necessary conversations. I, I realized I had to communicate really, really well. Pastor Carolyn had to communicate well. We had to communicate to his wife well. And he would still come back for clarification, a lot of clarification. We'd have a lot of important meetings to clarify what we wanted from him. Um, And that was a long journey. It was a year. But a lot of people don't make that jump. It could easily feel like a demotion. Um, I've moved a lot of people in the organization, but they have an idealism of what that role is, and it could feel like a demotion many times. And for him, I think it did feel like a demotion. And that, what was cool, though, we had a healthy enough relationship that we could stay in the conversation. Um, some moments that were frustrating. But just recently, we met with him just last week. And he said, I have never been more alive. In fact, I want to commit fully to kids' ministry as long as you need me. Whatever you have for me, let's do it. And uh, if there's other areas you want me to do, let's do it. And and I think that's a sign and a signal of health in the culture. Um, And and we we don't have a lot of those stories to share today, but I, I want you to pick up on, I believe that your culture, wherever it's at, is one tough conversation away from being healthier. Share a quick story. Um, part of my story, my testimony, I used to weigh 325 pounds. I was a big guy. Um, and I lost a whole bunch of weight in high school, and I, 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 I got healthy, and I started working out. But if I were to tell you about how to be disciplined and healthy today, and I weighed 325 pounds, and at one time in my lo- life I lost 140 pounds, I wouldn't be that credible about my eating habits, and I wouldn't be that credible about my workout disciplines, right? Yeah. All right. You are only as credible as the health and discipline that exists in your culture right now. That's as good as you are. And I believe that you're one health conversation away from continually getting healthy. And so I know that it's not a conversation I had with this guy about kids ministry. It's a series of disciplined conversations to stay into the dialogue, to keep communicating, to communicate well. Do you get
1: that? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. All of that matters because in the relationship between the the lead pastor and the executive pastor, I have to communicate well. I have to seek out and understand their vision. It's not their job to be a student of me. Once again, it's my job to lead up, to take their noise away. And I'm telling you what, I can't believe I'm standing at an ARC conference speaking to you. I remember the first ARC conference I came to, and this is like, oh my word, this thing's crazy. And and this is my 13th art conference. Crazy. And I have the opportunity to stand here because I believe that faithfulness and being a student will lead to promotion. I believe the promotion that you desire I believe the things that you desire in your heart for your church as lead pastors as executive pastors for staff can be completely fulfilled if we simply learn and serve. It's called teachability. Teachability. It's a word that we don't use often. We want to we want to tell people what we're great at and what we can do for them. In fact, we've done some external interviews, and, and in substance, I would say that um, we've hired, what, four times externally? Um, because I, I think at those times, the pressure was high, the church was growing fast. and. We just needed someone who got it, and, and that was not the shortcut. We still had to train them the DNA, the culture. We had to help them understand how we do things. Because at substance, when, when we bring somebody on, there's a way that we do it. There's not just, hey, come be an expert in that area. There's a million rules on how you have a tough conversation. There's a million rules on the DNA and values. of uh, It's just the house rules. There's a way we do it. And so we don't want to hire just experts. We want to hire people that have high character, mm-hmm. that have high teachability. They know how to submit to vision, and they have the potential to grow in their talents. Yeah. We love talent. We love it, mm-hmm. right? I believe every person in this room is completely talented,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but not at the sacrifice of character, mm-hmm. not at the sacrifice of mm-hmm. humility, submission, and teachability. Those are the values I value. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Amen. The second thing I want to say is uh, another disease that pollutes the church is called the reduced scorecard syndrome. And, and I, I want to hit this by just describing uh, your typical professional athletes. For, for the Minnesota Vikings, we have Adrian Peterson in our history, no longer with us, <laughs> who is super talented, but had a reduced scorecard of what the expectations of a professional athlete in the city look like. Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, we see it in the news all the time, people ripping on their teammates, punching babies, doing drugs and don't even know how it happened. Um, and every now and then we'll hear the, the, the typical Charles Barkley argument. I'm an athlete. I'm not a role model. And uh, what I do off the field shouldn't matter. And, and, and this has existed historically as substance even on our staff. We've had some of the most talented yeah people in the world. I mean, just so gifted in ministry and leading from the platform, but they had a reduced scorecard. They believed just because they were talented, they could behave however they wanted to behave. Yeah. And the truth is, yep. how you interact with your teammates is as important to me as as, as you can perform on how you perform on stage. Yep. That you have the buy-in from your peers is just as important to me to health and growability of our culture as your ability to preach or perform. And so... There's times in history where we've had to deal with that, and then as your health, your culture begins to get healthy, and the scorecard becomes more and more clear of what we do at Substance or what you do at your church, then your culture begins to defend culture. Yeah. And what's cool, I mentioned uh, 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 the last termination twenty months ago, the famous termination. Twenty months, come on, we get. I need like a countdown in my office. <laughs> twenty one months is coming soon. Yeah. Uh, When we talk about that, what's cool about that termination in a healthy culture versus unhealthy culture was that I had nine staff members come to me and confront me about that person. In fact, forced me into the disciplines I should have as a leader to deal with. That person, I, I think that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our own staff members are saying, this is what culture looks like. this is that's not what we do at substance. Yeah. Yeah. We never have a bad attitude on Sunday. We never yeah. sulk in the lobby. We never act yeah. poorly around other people. We never have an emotional yeah. fight with the lead pastor. <laughs> crazy people. Um, people are crazy. And culture defended yeah. the values. Yeah. Yeah. They knew the scorecard. They yeah. knew it was as important to Pastor Peter and Carolyn. That we're growing the church, and we're called to grow, and that we're successful, and we we want to continue to get better, but we do it well. We love the people on the bus. And so I believe that many times this reduced scorecard syndrome pollutes our churches. Once again, we are one tough conversation away from growing our church and creating healthy culture. And so lead pastor, go say ahead. This. Yeah.
1: The reason why is because you're so desperate, you're so needed, you need that worship person, you need that kid's person, and it's so, it takes so long to grow it. It takes so long to develop it, and it takes a really long time to be intentional, to lay out what's the vision in my heart, yeah. and how do I architect it and build it? And so it's just way more easier to go, I'm going to hire this person because their resume is amazing, they're super gifted, they know what they're doing, and I'm telling you, it will damage your That's church. Right. Because That's they right. actually don't know the culture yeah. of your house, yeah. they just think they're an expert. Fill in the blank. Expert worship leader, expert kids person, expert media, social media, graphic design. They have to know the heart of the house. No.
0: That's good. Mm-hmm. Come on. <laughs> I just want to encourage you. Lead pastors, I want to, I just want to encourage you. I hope this is encouraging. Train your staff. Yeah. Take the time, the energy to create pipelines of de- leadership development in your house. Yeah. For us, we have an internship, which helps. That's formal. It's one thing. But that's not good enough. We need streams of pipeline development. And so my expectation is my staff are constantly not doing ministry, but they're working on their ministry through other people. They have a responsibility to equip the saints, not to do the work. It's not their job. I don't have the money to pay them. It would be great if we did. But we don't. Mm-hmm. And so we need them to equip the saints. We need them to train leaders. The, the guy I mentioned earlier who took over our kids ministry. I don't need him to be a kids pastor actually at all. I need him to be the leader of the people leading our kids pastors. Mm-hmm. I need him to be great. I need him to be a multiplier, a recruiter in his ministry. Yeah. So lead pastors. we got to do this internally in our church. And if we're going to constantly take shortcuts to just say, Go to a conference and hire a person. Then we're going to constantly delay the growth that God has for us. And growth is not always numbers. It's the health of your culture. Because listen, we were growing... But it was a house of cards. Yes. It was a house of cards. And we've been rebuilding. And God's doing miraculous things. Our income has doubled in the last 18 months. Who wants that? Yeah. I believe it's the fruit of, 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 really, of years of effective development in our culture. Yeah. Um, our attendance is up 30%. Who wants that? We'll take yeah. it. Amen. Mm-hmm. And, and those are things that are fun. And they come in seasons. But I believe it's because we're getting that flywheel of health going. But it's still. It's a discipline mm-hmm. that we maintain. Yes. So Leaders train your people, grow people in your culture. There's nothing like homegrown people. They get it. You don't have to convince them. Substance Church is my home church. It was my home church before I worked there. It's my home. No matter if I work there or not, I'm committed to that thing. I already bought into the vision. I already gave it up for the vision. I constantly reinvest the vision. I look for people who constantly reinvest the vision. In fact, one cool thing is uh, the last Four staff hires that we've had are people who took significant cut and pays from from corporations to come work for substance. Some of them sold their houses, moved across the city, consolidated their lifestyles to commit to the vision, and it was their church. Mm -hmm. There's something beautiful, and I think we're afraid to ask those people. Mm -hmm. Well, guess what? If someone was afraid to ask me to be a part of what God was doing, I would never be a part. I was just a disgruntled business owner frustrated because I couldn't figure out what God had called me to do until someone took a moment to get into my story and say, hey, man, and can we unlock what God has for you? Yeah. And then I can help the church. Yeah. I can help. I have resources, experience, and, yeah. and knowledge, and I want to yeah. learn. Yeah. Those people are sitting in your church. I guarantee it. Just give me one week. Yeah. Give me one week at your church. They're there. Yeah. They're there. And yeah. we keep saying, no, I have to hire a kids pastor. Yeah. No, I have to hire a youth pastor. No, I need to hire the person this and that. You're getting it wrong. Yeah. You're getting it wrong. And listen, the ship has sailed when it comes to institutional development. Yeah. It's time that the church yeah. figures Come out on. our culture, yeah. and it's time the church figures out how to reach people and guess what some of the best pastors you're going to ever have are the people sitting in your pews sitting in your auditoriums they're They're working in your kids ministry right now train your staff grow people in your house find them Find them, find them, find them, and and take a long time to hire people. Yeah. Long time, long. I'm talking like you think it's long, go longer, yeah. and then you think that's long, go longer than that. Yeah. We we hire so slow, so so slow yep. today. Yep. So because we need yep. to defend culture. Yes. Listen, you, you staff members can come and go, but your culture can easily erode if you get it wrong. Once again, yeah. the behaviors you allow will be the cultures you have to manage. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Very good.
0: Executives, staff. Learn your leaders. (laughs) Know their vision and heart. Mm -hmm. Constantly ask a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. Take their noise away. Mm -hmm. Come on. You want access to your leadership? Take their noise away. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you time if you do that. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, do we really trust God and that he's called us and positioned us? Mm -hmm. I think way too many staff members get... Stuck in this idea that their lead pastors owe them something that they live in a place they literally live in their own arrested development and and simply it's not what if what if this what if this what if God actually called you just to learn and serve from them and that until the end of your life that's it what if that's it is that good enough for you? I think that's a resolve in your heart between you and God that you have to figure out. Is that good enough for me? Once again, I don't think Jesus was going around saying, oh, Paul. oh Peter, what do you want to be best in the world at? Peter, what can you be in charge of? I just really want to see you. come. Man, you're so gifted. And you know everything. You already know everything. So how could I help you? He said, follow me. Follow me. Lead pastors. Train your people. Everyone else, learn, serve, Mm -hmm. learn, serve. And then trust God that he's going to do the promotion. Mm -hmm. Trust God that he's going to provide for you. And listen, I get it. Sometimes there's idiot lead pastors. That's a real thing. I've met a lot of them. (laughs) And a lot of times there's idiot staff members. Uh, And and sometimes you're in an unhealthy culture. That's a real thing. You have to ask yourself the question, Am I committed to the unhealth? And and if you're in an unhealthy culture that you stay in, that's your fault. That's your fault. Mm -hmm. Now, you need perspective and and other people in your life to help you realize that sometimes. I get it. But... I think way too many times we blame our leaders for everything instead of taking responsibility for ourselves. The problem's always out there, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. man. Let's unlock our leaders. Come on, lead pastors. You want to be unlocked in the vision and passion? You want people behind you helping you come alive and fulfilling that vision? I haven't met an executive or a lead pastor who, who both don't want to do the same thing. They want to grow their church and be healthy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we got to have a lot more conversations.
1: Yeah, it's so good. Is that good? Yeah. yeah. All
0: right. We have a little time for Q and A. Any questions? Are there any tools that you guys have used to identify your strengths weaknesses well, this is lead pastors, executive pastors? So obviously, the teams are really built around the strengths of I mean, the lead pastor, i guessing so. Yep. so yep. What, what tools have worked for you guys? What process have you got to put this?
1: I love it. We're super huge on on personality assessments, so personally we love Myers Briggs and we love Strength Finders, and we have professional coaches in our church that help with our staff and do that. But it started with Peter and I, so just really knowing um, how what's Peter's strengths, and so he did the whole Marcus Buckingham, go put your strengths to work for three months. You write down this drains me, this makes me come alive, this drains me, and so then for me, and this is this is a marriage thing too. Like I love serving my husband, I love studying my husband. We've been together for 26 years, and I still study him. I still don't pretend I know what he needs. I'm still always asking do you need a cheese quesadilla or do you need a pizza what do you need you know what can I do for you what is it are you Do you need to brainstorm right now or do you just need comfort and encouragement because you're frustrated like I don't want to pretend I know what he needs so I'm constantly studying him as a wife and as an executive so I have both hats on and then I'm constantly going how can I serve you and then honestly in our church I'm a translator of Peter then to our staff and so I'll say okay we're gonna have a meet I watch when he's in a meeting and if too many details, the lifeblood drains <laughs> from him. And then he's no good. He is no good the rest of the day. And I need him to be good. Do you know what I mean? And when Peter's good, he, he, when he gets sleep, And when he is good and when he's in his optimum time, he cranks out the most brilliant things that are gonna change the global church. And because I see that in him, we protect him in the sense of no no early morning meetings, no early flights. You know what I mean? Like we guard his time, and then what meetings he is in, I'm constantly translating. In fact, to cancel a meeting with staff, I'm constantly saying, hey, he's not just ignoring you or canceling you because he doesn't this is what's going on. He's in so much pain right now, we just want him to not die. You know what I mean? So there's that translation of I know him so well, and then Nate studies him so well that then it helps to go, okay, this is what Peter's best at, then this is what I'm best at, and then this is what Nate's best at, and so together we kind of just all, you know, then we kind of figure out and work it out that way. And then we're constantly changing things too, so yeah, in the back. For Nate, I'm just wondering, yes, sir. you coming in from perspective, what were things that you were looking at, you said, oh my goodness, I need to take these things away from them. And then the things that you said, I need to leave these, I need to
0: bring them into these conversations. Yeah. Well, I... Okay, so prior to being in staff at Substance, I, I wasn't a lead pastor, but I was a CEO of a large business. And so I probably wouldn't want someone to say to me, what can they take from me? But I, I would want someone to say, how can I help you? Mm-hmm. And I think it's a different question. And I, I, I think many times executives specifically want to know their professional portfolio because of their role. It's a high-level leadership role. I get it. I mean, we're, I, I oversee our, our finances almost primarily with submission to them. It's a pretty huge responsibility. I, I kind of don't want that responsibility fully to myself. I, I'm not kind of like, let me take that from you. In fact, I don't want to make a mistake with that when we just spent $5 million last Monday. Um, uh, let's do that together. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can sign that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I ask the question, how can I help you? Uh, but before I even ask that question, because I think a lot of times people lead with that question, uh, I, I just want to learn from you. Mm-hmm. And what can I learn? What can I learn? Because I, I think a great executive is someone who slows down long enough to be a student to answer that question themselves. And, uh, and so today, I could define what I should and should not ask about and what, I, what noise, I, I would say, what noise can I take away? That's a good question. Uh, I know that noise, and I can discern that because I understand the vision, mission, and DNA really well. Uh, But I want to address, we should not be having tug of wars with the lead pastor. And listen, I know there's different lead pastors with different personalities and all that, and they're not the same as the ones I have. But I'm saying serve them, unlock them. And everything that you desire, you will get authority for. But here, let me share one quick thing about that. I remember I was just a burnt-out pastor's kid who was on staff at a church before I went into business. And I hated the church. I was very bitter. So when I first came to Substance, I complained about everything and thought I could do it better. The Lord has actually given me full responsibility for everything I cl- complained about. <laughs> and so be careful what you ask for. Authority over. <laughs> <laughs> What about your uh, leadership pipeline you were talking about? Yeah. You're that the yeah. How do you do that? How do we do that? Substance is an awesome creative place, and so we're constantly reinventing that.
1: Uh, we're rebuilding it, to be honest. Yeah. We don't have a uh, – it's not good right now. Do you know what I mean? From a, of, yeah, uh, from, from
0: a formal standpoint, we've done an internship for years. It's a paid internship. They pay to be in it. And that's been cool. In fact, half our staff right now were interns at one time. So that's a cool formal pipeline that we're constantly rebuilding and trying to make better. So
1: instead, what I'm asking him to do is he's got like 40 uh, people in the church that are constantly like, Nate, I want coffee with you. I want coffee with you. Tons of business people that are like, I feel maybe this calling. And so instead of him spending a bazillion coffee appointments, I'm like, he's going to be gathering these four Forty people, four times a year, and just start pulling it out of me. Start asking questions. So that's an informal pipeline that we're working on. Peter and I do another informal pipeline with um, just top people in our church. That our pastors have said you need to know this couple. So we have dinner and we do that. I've done women's gatherings and I do it with our staff spouses. I do it with our staff women, but then also just with women in our church. So we do a lot of informal and little little things here. It's and not the, but I know. would say
0: also in culture, I expect our staff to be identifying and developing those people. It's a yeah. part of their job description. Yeah. What's that? I have door. I'm sorry. You all, you all go books together yes.
1: Staff. Oh yeah. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 And I'm like a little school teacher, so they have to write five-page papers do for every book that they read, and yeah, it's a big deal. So definitely books. And we we have can help resource
0: you with that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, understanding your culture, you said that. Be
0: learning. Time. Do you? Is there a set of rules specifically? So, like, when you come here, we want to see your face up to make sure you're doing ten percent for the church. Is there? Is there that kind of black or white? Rule? Yeah, you know, I I, I will answer said, that for you. I have a lot of opinions on that. I, <laughs> listen, uh, so in my business, I created a lot of rules because rules are necessary. I get it. And uh, I had really smart employees that learned to work around everything. And, yeah. and so, listen, we're talking about people's character, their heart. Right. And so I have an expectation of honesty. And I let people lead up to me with their honesty. And uh, so I – honestly, I check tithe records. I, I want to know behaviors. Uh, But I want to go on a journey with the people I'm committed to. It's a broader journey. We're developing people. uh, Remember that. My priority one is development of people. And I want to separate development and character issues. Uh, When it comes to a character or behavioral issue, someone's doing something inappropriate or poorly, I address that as a behavioral issue. If it's a, if it's a, if it's a development issue, like they just need knowledge and understanding, then uh, we're going to develop them. And so to answer that question, the lead up is really asking a lot of clarifying questions yeah. about how they can be more efficient and effective to accomplish the vision in their area of responsibility. Yeah. What are some things you would and would not up to your, some of your pastors? Like, what are things me? you know? Yeah, you know. You know, I think the more I get in relationship with them, the more I want them to understand the organization. And I think it's less about what they understand about the organization, and it's more about timing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, I'm probably not going to tell Pastor Peter that this highly influential person quit the church and just emailed me a horrible letter right before he preaches on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But I do think he should know that. Mm-hmm. And I think he needs to know that. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a... There's a there's a there's something that exists in our Western church culture again that, you know, I'm so ticked about um, that that we should keep information from our lead pastors. I think that's stupid. <laughs> yeah. they like as the CEO of a business, like that's necessary information in my discernment process. Right, yeah. right. And why would we you know, I'm not trying to direct this at you. Sorry. But why <laughs> why would we keep key information uh, or just general information, because I know, like, I actually, you ask my staff, I'm like, I want to know everything. <laughs> I want to know it all. Like, and I, you don't dictate how busy I am and what I can handle. I dictate how busy I am and what I can handle. So, I have 300 unread emails that I've kind of read, you know, those emails you kind of read, <laughs> but they're waiting there because it's a longer reply. Um, I want to know as much, and then let me dictate yes. how much I can handle. Yes. Now, I d- different leaders have different diva personalities and what they want and don't want to know. But I think in general... I think you have a responsibility to inform them. Mm-hmm. It's timing. Mm-hmm. I notice with Pastor Peter, I'm not going to I'm not going to blow them up with some negative thing on Monday, mm-hmm. but when we have a scheduled time, let's talk about that. Let's because I actually believe our ability to communicate well will be the speed of our organization. Mm-hmm. And I think we can limit the speed by waiting and delaying information. Yeah. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. One more question. Do We got we got
0: one more question. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, so I think for us, um, one of the words that I, I love these terms, you got visionary, and then I love the term integrator, and then I love the term implementer. So at Substance, we would say Peter is the visionary, and I'm in that with him, so I'm also part visionary. And then because I also am on the exec team with Nate, then we're integrator. And what I mean by integrator is that's where we're taking the vision that Peter's given us. So Substance Studios, he wants to do the album, Substance Variant, our DJ that's doing the after party tonight. Okay, then we will talk about it and talk budget, timing, staff bandwidth, how many projects, where is it going to be recorded, are we building a booth, are we going off-site? You know, so we integrate it, make sure we're synergized and we've got it, then our staff implement it. And so I think that's been a huge change for us, whereas before... I think when we would hire staff, they thought it was their job to have the vision, and, and then things wouldn't be integrated, and it'd be everything would be siloed all over the place. So instead, it's like, no, no, we got the vision for everything. The vision's here. So people like missions, they went, no, 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 you ask me what my heart is for missions. Don't ask the missions person we hired. No, no, they, it's what I want for missions, and then they will implement what I want for missions. It's so my heart for kids ministry, they will implement my heart for kids ministry. Does that make sense? So I would say my technical strength in our organization is I'm a builder. So give me the problem, give me the ministry that needs to Blown up, and then I will rebuild it. And it's typically a one to two year building process. But I will write out the five page document of everything that we have to do, the roadmap. Then I hand it to Nate, and then Nate implements it with the staff. He makes sure it's integrated. There's a budget for it. There's a timeline. And then if Pastor Peter, who's the visionary, who's creative, and and like always wanting to do, he's Peter's so progressive and so far ahead of us. We have that tension of like, awesome we're not ready, <laughs> so how do we not say yeah. no, but how do we get ready, so how do we, that's that dance that you have to do, so yeah. then we'll, we'll like applaud his vision and say, okay, here's the deal, this is where we're at now, or if he wants to change something last minute, we're like, great, if we're gonna change that, it just means we have to change these couple. which would you, per- so we don't, we don't assume we know what he wants to change, we're not gonna assume, but we're gonna go up to him and say, if, you, if this new video is super important by next Tuesday, We'd ask the media team to already do these other three projects. Are you okay with that having a delay just for bandwidth? Or do you want us to hire somebody additional to do this particular? Are you hearing me? I know that's super technical. But instead of just saying, we can't do that, we don't have the bandwidth for it, we say, okay, I want to make that happen for you. This is how we got to figure it out.
0: That's good. (laughs) And let me say one thing before you all leave in relationship to that. Empowerment is not giving people autonomy and authority to make decisions. Empowerment is actually letting them to execute on the things you've allowed them to do. And I think we have to change that in culture. We have to change that in the way we're thinking. I think way too many times we, you deal with staff who say, you need to empower me, let me do my thing, I'm the one. And I'm like, no, no, no. Empowerment, because I'm the steward of, we're the stewards of the vision, empowerment is execute well in that section of the vision. And if you do that part well, and this person does that part well, and this person do- does that part well, we're going to synergize and this thing's going to be great. But I just don't want to manage a whole bunch of idealistic millennial creatives. <laughs> anyway, th- that's it. Thank you guys for being here.